This topic specifically tonight is one that's actually pretty um, dear to my heart. It's on anxiety um, and um, dealing with anxiety and, and what are the, what are the um, studies behind it. Some of them you've seen already and we're just going to kind of combine some of what we've talked about with some of the other data. And I apologize, I just recently went from a Toshiba to a Mac computer and, um, and not all of my presentations are... are um, compatible, I guess, between PowerPoint and Keynote. Um, but anyway, so, I'm, so I apologize that I have a little challenge, but I am happy to send you the, um, the PowerPoint version of my anxiety notes if you, if you want them, if you just, just let me know. But um, why don't we go ahead and start with a word of prayer then. All right. Father in heaven, we just want to thank you again so much for the privilege of being able to come together to um, work together, um, to learn together. We thank you for the abundance of information that you've given to us to teach us, to help us, to grow us. Um, and I pray that as we touch upon this issue of anxiety, um, there's a lot that you have to say concerning that. And I pray that you teach us how to be able to take what we learn and to put it into practice. Um, and I pray that we would um, be able to maybe even encourage others that struggle with this, as, as there are many more out there than we realize that struggle with the issue of anxiety. And I just pray again, um, may your words be lifted up and your principles be lifted up. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Anxiety. Why, why picking this, this topic? Um, recently, over the last two years, I've seen an increasing number of patients, um, professionals. Um, these are working professionals who have become debilitated by anxiety. And it's interestingly, working professionals, especially those in ministry, have been doing ministry for a long period of time, that are um, really significantly impacted by anxiety. More so women than men, um, but that's mainly by diagnosis. It, I don't know if the prevalence, because one of the questions is whether the prevalence may actually be a little higher in men than it is in women, but, um, but definitely more so in women. Um, what really bothered me was seeing uh, women who had accomplished quite a bit in life for a long period of time, but just all of a sudden it seemed like like they could not function because of severe anxiety. I kept wondering, what is the common denominator? I'm going back, I'm reviewing charts, I'm looking at things, trying to figure out, I don't understand. These are people, these are people, people with strong faiths, active in church, reading the Bible, praying. I mean, from what they've, they've told me, people who are um, eating plant-based diets. Um, what is it that is, is the difference? I'll tell you some interesting things. We're going to start with some of the lifestyle issues. There are, um, there are two, um, there are three in particular common denominators that I found in every single one of the charts of my women um, who were struggling with anxiety. Now, um, among the men that I had um, in the charts, and this, is, this has been charts that I've collected over the last four years, um, among men, um, the, um, two of these applied a, lot, a little bit more so than, than, um, to, than among women. But, but the, the number one, can anyone think of the number one lifestyle factor that across the board men and women um, struggled with it, contributed to increased anxiety or inability to deal with yes 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 this is the biggest denominator and I'm talking about 
I'll tell you, you know, this um, last week I saw a university professor who had come after years of treatment for anxiety, okay? Intelligent, brilliant woman, able to do, I mean, has been able to do so many projects, finished her PhD, I mean, accomplished quite a bit. And all of a sudden now she's paralyzed and can't function anymore. Used to be so active in ministry and just gone, done. It just everything worries and, and becomes, she's become very anxious in the process. Um, but consistently, I asked her, you know, it's funny because, you know, you went through everything and you know, doing the plant-based, doing everything. And she's, you know, I'm thinking, man, goodness, you know, what on earth is going on? And as I look on there, when I asked her how much exercise is she doing, because I asked two questions. It's important to be able to recognize cause to effect, right? Because anxiety, severe anxiety, um, oftentimes is associated with depression. Also, there's, there can be a lack of motivation with that. And so, um, and it's not motivation because they just are lazy um, per se, but, but they just, the, the um, depressed levels of serotonin, especially in the brain, the ability to plan ahead and to move and to do things just isn't there. And, um, uh, you know, I'm, the two questions that I ask is one, are you consistently exercising now or what is your exercise routine right now? But two, when you last remember being able to be functional, how much did you exercise? And what I find consistently is that people either were, you know, used to exercise, they may have had a lot of stressors growing up during the times that they were doing their PhD and some of these other things, you know, prior to that. They were exercising consistently, but then whenever they became, got more intensely involved in ministry or in um, business prospects or whatever it was, exercise diminished. And maybe symptoms that could have been underlying before from other things we're going to talk about really became more profound when, they, when their exercise dropped. And this is actually one of the things that more consistently, and I wish I, wish I could show you some of the, the data um, that was there from it, but... Um, One of, the, um, one of the things that we know about exercise, exercise we mentioned increases beta endorphins, right? That's one of your mood, your feel-good hormones. But one of the other things that exercise does is it improves the efficiency of your neurotransmitters, okay? The efficiency, especially the availability of your neurotransmitters such as serotonin and, and dopamine, okay? the ability to, to be able to sense pleasure and satisfaction, um, especially long-term. That's one thing. But remember, we talked about exercise and that interesting little thing, molecule called BDNF, um, brain-derived neurotropic f factor, okay? Your ability to learn and unlearn certain things. We're going to talk about cognitive behavioral therapy a little bit towards the end. But one of the challenges that we found is that when people um, are not exercising regular, regularly, and they're trying to fix issues, especially with thought processes that come with anxiety, it is very, very difficult for them to do so because of the decreased elasticity of the brain to be able to re unlearn and relearn some of the behaviors of the past. So ex exercise is one of those things that is very, very critical. The other reason exercise makes a big difference, we believe, is because just improved circulation, especially to the frontal lobe. And what we found is that, in, again, interval training is one of those things that maximizes and improves circulation to the frontal lobe of our brain, the one that allows us to executively plan and to look at information 
in a um, in a um, in an in an appropriate or in a um, I guess consistent in a in a in a, in a more realistic um, picture. Okay. Um, whenever we when I talk to patients about the lifestyle aspects concerning anxiety, many times they'll think they'll they'll want you know will want to deal with the thoughts, and we do need with any lifestyle program with anxiety, you need to deal with the thought aspect of it also. And we're like I said, we're going to talk about cognitive behavioral therapy in just a bit. But one of the things that is helpful to understand is why does lifestyle make a difference? The way I look at it is this: you're trying to fight and combat a disease. You want everything in your arsenal, every tool you can to be able to maximize your ability to deal with that issue and that problem. While the thoughts may be one of the main underlying issues, anything that inhibits your ability to be able to improve your mood, anything that inhibits your health in general, is going to increase your, your anxiety long term. Because one of the things that actually we find more consistently people is there's anxiety in general but there's also health anxiety okay they have health issues that have come up and now they're not able to do as much as they did before and it becomes very frustrating and challenging for them as they're able to incorporate lifestyle factors in one at a time and their health improves the anxiety also starts to improve and one factor contributing to the anxiety um, starts to be able to be taken care of, which is just their overall health and improvement. Okay, so the exercise is one of those things. Um, so we, we mentioned exercise. What is number two that I that I that you think I found? Again, this one I'm not. I, this one we know that it's substantiated in the data, but as far as the numbers, this is just one thing that I've consistently seen over the last four years. Sunshine. Sun, um, sunshine does affect it, and we'll talk about sunshine in a bit, but. But more consistently than that, um, water, water intake. You know, I never believed or understood. Um, I mean, I knew water was important, but such a simple molecule, okay? Such a simple molecule. And what they found with this, there are vast numbers of studies that are done concerning water and mood. Something as simple, the in, let me mention this, the initial studies that were done concerning mood and exercise were done in athletes and in soldiers, okay? People that were aggressively um, active, and of course they had them in more confined situations where they could measure water loss, temperature, um, temperature raising in their body, uh, um, other such things. But one of the things that they found is this, as little as a 1% to 2% dehydration, okay? as little as a 1% to 2% dehydration, and people reported when they, were, when they had to do any kind of task that required a little bit more thinking or a task that would require them to resist something that they couldn't otherwise, they were significantly more, felt more confused, agitated, irritated, and anxious if they had 1% to 2% dehydration. If instead they would hydrate them and then have them, so once they, they will first um, dehydrate them, um, have them do the task, then they'll rehydrate them and then repeat the task, they, they began to feel actually more refreshed and able to face the task again 
without as much difficulty and it was just replacing literally one to two percent improvement in volume okay water how simple that is I'm telling you you know one of the the interesting things that they found is that they would take um, they would take students um, who were faced with with an exam or with something that's a test or something that they had to had to complete and when they looked again at dehydration status they were more likely to make mistakes and become very frustrated with the mistakes and then make further mistakes repeatedly on during those exams um, if they were again dehydrated once they rehydrated them again you would see the improvement they would report a subjective improvement but then there would be an objective improvement also in being able to focus and to be able to look at the situation um, uh, differently please do not under underestimate the effectiveness of something as simple as staying well hydrated and and for whatever reason, and when I would look at my, uh, the charts of my patients, especially the women, this is the one that was a little bit more consistent among the women, um, more so than the men, but um, when I would consistently look at the charts, many of them were drinking at the most maybe three eight-ounce glasses of water a day consistently. On a good day, they would maybe hit about four to six, but that was rare, pretty rare that they would do that. They would be dehydrated, and they start another day, and then, and then it would worsen. Okay, um, so hydration was the other lifestyle factor um, that came into play. What was the third lifestyle factor that seemed to worsen anxiety? And this one is one of those um, chicken and egg things that unfortunately goes back and forth. One worsens the other, which worsens the other, which worsens the other. Yes, yes. Sleep. If a person was not able to get consistent, regular, efficient sleep, their levels of anxiety, their ability to deal with stressors was sig significantly declined. This was found actually even with, um, with uh, uh, among studies that were done with residents in, um, in, uh, in so medical residents in, in residency, then also even medical students during periods of sleep deprivation their inability to be able to, to um, deal with stressors when on rounds or in team rounds or in dealing with issues um, with patients if they were sleep deprived post-call versus after they'd had sleep and then had been able to come back and be restored after, um, after sleep. But here's the thing. You know, we talked about hydration and how to, you know, how to hydrate and whatnot before. We talked about um, exercise. What are, the, what are the things that need to be put into place to be able to manage sleep appropriately? How many of you have heard of something called sleep hygiene? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Look, so, <laughs> I once asked a student, like, what is sleep hygiene? He said, bathing before my sleep? And I, I, was, I was interested. I was like, actually, you know, that's a, that's a good thought. That wasn't a bad, bad thought. Um, sleep hygiene. Sleep hygiene specifically is talking about um, the activities that we do surrounding our sleep and during our sleep. Okay? So this means that the consistency of getting to bed on time at a regular time every night and waking up at the same time every day 
was one significant factor in being able to help a person with dealing with sleep regularly. Okay? As much as possible, even if the sleep was interrupted, if they could consistently get to bed at the same time or around the same time, no more than 30 minutes off of their regular time, they were able to do or function and get their more efficiency out of their sleep. Okay? What was the other thing that we mentioned that improves efficiency of sleep? We actually just talked about it. Exercise, right? 150 minutes of exercise regularly a week, okay? In the aerobic moderate to vigorous range, significantly improved sleep. Again, a non-pharmaceutical alternative is the way the National Sleep Foundation described it. People consistently, regularly exercise, their quality and quantity of sleep significantly improves. Okay? Other things that help, we talked about this in the nutrition aspect, that late night meal. If the last meal of the evening is a very light meal, keeping it very simple and as much as possible three hours before you actually go to sleep, your, again, your quality of sleep is, is much improved. You know, with our patients who are struggling with sleep, um, oftentimes we'll recommend for them to be on a two meal a day plan, at least for a short period of time while they're trying to get their sleep back into, um, back into gear. And what they find is this, um, their sleep actually is significantly improved, um, their quality of sleep. Initially, many of them are worried that they're going to wake up hungry. But the interesting thing is they're actually able to sleep through the night consistently, especially if they can, even if they eat an evening meal, but keep it very light. But the duration of time until sleep actually makes a difference too, okay? Um, other aspects of sleep hygiene, okay? The bed is only for sleeping, okay? It's for one other thing, but we'll leave that one alone. The bed is only for sleeping, okay? That means you don't work in bed, you don't read in bed, you don't um, have the TV on in bed, you don't um, sit and worry about the day in bed, it is only for sleeping. The bed is also not for staying awake wondering why you're not sleeping. Okay? What does that mean? What that practically means, and sleep hygiene is a part, if somebody is dealing with anxiety, we really go into sleep hygiene in detail, meaning that if they have not been able to fall asleep for roughly, we would say, about 20 minutes, okay, and we're going to talk about the alarm and the time and, and looking at the clock, but if they're not able to stay, fall asleep within about 20 minutes, they cannot stay in the bed, okay? Patients that practice good sleep hygiene do significantly better than those who will sit there in the bed worried and wondering because let me tell you, anxiety starts to, ha to actually worsen as they come to think about getting back in the bed. Even just the thought of, see or of seeing the bed starts to get them anxious as they worry about not sleeping. So again, once you get into the bed, here, here's the other thing. Part of sleep hygiene is not looking at the clock at all. How many of you usually pretty much know what time you get to bed every night? Right? Ideally, if you're struggling with sleep, you don't want to look at the clock. Once you're headed to bed, you don't look at the clock again. Okay? Even if you know that it's late, 
all that does is increase the anxiety of, oh my goodness, I was wanting to get to bed at 9.30 tonight and it's 11 o'clock at night. You know, one of the most consistent things we find with people struggling with sleep, if they know what the time is, one, when they go to bed, if they know what the time is when they, um, when they are not falling asleep, if they know what the time is when they are awakened from sleep in the middle of the night, they get more anxious. If, it is, if they, are, they haven't slept, they haven't fallen asleep, they haven't slept, and, they, um, and it's say they went to bed at 10 o'clock, and now it is 12 o'clock, okay? It's 12 o'clock, and they haven't fallen asleep, and they look at the clock, oh my goodness, it's 12 o'clock. What do they start to get worried about? I've been in bed for two hours, and I haven't fallen asleep, and they start to get worried, and anxious thoughts are usually the thing that will keep them from falling asleep through the night, Okay? What if they've been able to sleep, but they have what is often associated with um, more with depression and those with anxiety and depression um, concurrently, is early morning awakenings. I always mention to patients, you should, I, I, I'll ask them after telling them you are not to look at the clock at all through the night. The next day I'll ask them, how did you sleep? Oh, well, I woke up. I was like, what time did you wake up? Oh, it was about two o'clock. And I'll ask them, why did you know? Right? Question being, you should not know. You should not look at the clock. Set an alarm. Set five alarms if you have to set five alarms. But set the alarm such that you do not, no matter what, you do not look at the clock if you are, um, if you have not uh, fallen asleep yet. Okay. Once you get into bed, and you are in bed, you haven't fallen asleep. You, you need to lie as still as, find a position and lie as still as possible. One of the worst things for someone who is not falling asleep well is flipping back and forth, back and forth in bed. It will do more to agitate and worsen sleep if they do that. Okay. My encouragement again is to, is to stay, pick a position and try to lay as still as possible. After you've taken care of these issues of sleep hygiene, right? You're, you're going to bed at the same time, waking up at the same time, and part of sleep hygiene, interestingly, is a consistency and regularity of the time you eat. What we've actually found is for people who work night shifts, if they can maintain as relatively close to the same times that they eat when they're not on the night shift, they actually do better than if they shift everything around just to fit the fit the night shift, meaning that when they come off the night shift, if they actually eat breakfast at that time, wait about an hour, and then actually go to sleep, and then, um, and then um, wake up and have their second meal before they go to work without eating anything else during the work time, they'll actually do it, function a lot better, be able to have a more regular pattern of sleep when they come back to, um, when they go back to their daytime, when they're not on their night schedule. Okay. Um, so once you're doing all this, you're, you're eating regularly, you're going to bed at the same time, waking up at the same time, you're not looking at the clock, you're using the bed only for sleep, for nothing else. The next thing to keep in mind is lights, okay? Lights on. We taught, you mentioned sunlight. Sunlight takes the tryptophan that we consume in our diet and converts it from tryptophan to serotonin, okay? Daytime light does that. Daytime light will increase that. Then, nighttime darkness converts that serotonin to melatonin. 
melatonin is then pulsed out of the pineal gland in a, in a rhythmic fashion that peaks towards the middle of the night. Okay? And it, cannot, it is very difficult for people to mimic that in a medication. You just cannot get the same effect that you do if you get it naturally. If you have lights on, and we're talking about lights from an incandescent bulb, if you're talking about lights from the TV, from an iPad, from a phone, from whatever it is, um, for in, and it depends on your circadian rhythm. It's somewhere, depending on your circadian rhythm, and you'll kind of have to look and gauge when that is. But roughly from about 8.30 um, to 10 o'clock, sometime in that period of range, um, everybody's is a little bit different. If you have the lights on after that period of time, whatever your set, set circadian rhythm is, um, for up to 45 minutes past that time, you will deplete your melatonin levels by 50%. Okay, like 50%. It's hard when we're a society constantly engaged in everything that we're doing and to be able to put that aside about an hour, two hours before bedtime and essentially getting that light out. You don't want to deplete the, the serotonin that you had just made um, in conversion from, from tryptophan in your body. Okay. Consistency and regularity of, of sleep. Um, what about anxious thoughts in sleep? Okay, Sometimes people cannot sleep because they're constantly thinking. Right? This, is, I mean, this is a very common, very, very, very common thing to, to happen. Right? Interestingly, those who exercise regularly um, and stay active throughout the day are less likely to suffer from constant thoughts throughout the night. We don't know the pathophysiology and the mechanism behind that. One of the things that is again found is a consistency and regularity that is just what helps without with um, preventing those anxious, repeated, repetitive thoughts. Part of the reason may be because their sleep is more efficient. They're able to fall asleep faster. They can't worry about things longer. That could be the possible mechanism of action. One of the things that is found is to, is to um, write down whatever it is that you are thinking about. So keeping a notepad and a paper beside the bed. And whatever it is that is worrying you, if you have things that you need to do, things you're worried about forgetting, if there are things that you've got to take care of, it's writing down those things that you, have cons that you are consistently worrying about. Once you've written them down, the next thing to do is to encourage a person to pray about them. And this is where I'm going to tie in both, um, both cognitive behavioral therapy with sleep together for, for anxiety. For the life of me, I could not understand. I, I remember sitting there and thinking there were two verses in the Bible that really, really bothered me, especially when it came to helping my patients with dealing with anxiety because it almost was like a mockery in their face. And I did not know how to be able to help them with it. Can anyone guess what those two verses were in the Bible? Oh, no, 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 that, that, that I'm sure can also <laughs> get frustrating. Did somebody said, said something? Oh, 
actually that's that is one that was but but there were those um that was instruction to not worry okay but but there was there were two in particular that bothered me because there was a promise concerning these if you if you have a chance you have your bible if you have an ipad or whatnot one of them was actually isaiah 26 verse 3 okay and some of you probably have memorized this you know this one um very well isaiah 26 verse 3 Okay. Isaiah 26 and verse 3. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in thee. I have prayed that prayer for my patients so many times and I'm sitting there and I'm thinking either God is a liar in the Bible or something is not going on right with how I'm instructing and helping my patients. I don't know what to do. Because according to this verse, it says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in thee. It didn't even say, you know, they will be more peaceful, they will be a little less anxious. It actually says perfect peace. It is very difficult to be in perfect peace and have constant, consistent, anxious thoughts. What, where did the two of them collide? And I did not know what to do with this. The other verse actually was in Philippians. Um, if you'll go to, uh, sorry, if you'll go, Philippians 4. Verse 6. Some of you might have a version that if you have a King James, it says, be careful for nothing. Um, but uh, it's Philippians 4 um, and verse 6. Um, some of you, if you have the King James version, it will say, be careful for nothing. In other versions, it says, do not be anxious about anything. Okay? Do not be anxious about anything or be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and petition or supplication, depending on your translation, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Why did those two verses frustrate me? There were lots of verses that talked about not being anxious and keeping your peace, but those two specifically said, don't be anxious, and there was a promise of peace, that was associated with it. But I couldn't seem, I didn't know how to help my patients get to that point. It wasn't until I started talking with my patients and I thought, okay, I've got to follow them around. Because do you know, it, I, it was so challenging for me to encourage patients. I would give them promises to look at and I would ask them, pray those promises. And they would tell me, Dr. Hillman, you don't understand how many times I have prayed for peace and to not be anxious. And they got to the point where they're feeling like God isn't hearing their prayers. And then what is the point of praying? And I don't want to pray and I don't believe the Bible anymore. Or, or maybe I'm a bad person because these promises aren't coming. And that's very challenging dealing with as a physician and trying to explain to somebody, well, look, the Bible's not lying, but I can't tell you what's going on. So what I started to do is to um, hang out with my patients they would get anxious. I actually started specifically praying, and I, it's easier to do in a lifestyle program. Not as easy when you've got an outpatient to go hang out with them. But um, 
in a lifestyle program, I would, I would um, specifically pray for one thing. I would pray that something would go wrong for them during the program. And I would tell my patients this at the beginning. I'm just going to let you know. I'm going to pray that something <laughs> doesn't go right while you're at the program. Hopefully it's not the program because <laughs> I don't want the program to be suffering you know, for you or whatnot but, or to go wrong for you. But, but even if it was another patient that's frustrating or something else that's frustrating for them, you know, something from home. But why would I pray this? Because I wanted to see their thought process as they were going through any difficult situation. Because... I wanted to kind of understand what is happening when they approach this circumstance and situation. And the interesting thing is that consistently when I would pray this prayer, something would happen. And no, I didn't make it happen, okay? Um, something difficult would happen with the patient. And so I would tell them, you just need to let somebody know and immediately, you know, tell them to come and get me when this happens. Well, they would come and they would get me. And then we would... Um, uh, then I would sit with them and I'd say, okay, why don't you go through, um, you know, by this time I developed a bit of a rapport with them, so it's not like this weird person is sitting them that they've never met before, sitting there and listening and watching them. Um, so, so we're walking, we're talking, and I, and I ask them, why don't you, why don't we pray? Why don't we pray and, and turn this over to God? And we'll do exactly what it says in Philippians 4, verse, verses 6 and 7, that we're, we're going to pray and we're going to ask God concerning the circumstance and the situation. And we're going to do it with thanksgiving. So we're going to start by, by listing things that we're thankful for, where God has been faithful, even if it's the same thing and that's all we can think about for a period of time. We're going to do that. And then, um, and then we're going to see what happens, okay? Here's the thing that I found would consistently happen with my patients after. Can, what, can you tell me, maybe some of you who, have, who tend to be more anxious, because I'll tell you, my personality was such, I, I struggled with both depression and anxiety for quite a while. What usually happened after they prayed about the circumstance or the situation? What would be the first words out of their mouth usually after they prayed? They would start talking about the problem back over again and how terrible it was and how difficult it was. And then the interesting thing is you would find is that they would not only tell me, but then you would find them about five, 10 minutes later talking to another patient about the problem and the difficulty. And then they would go and they would talk to one of the, the lifestyle counselors about the anxiety and the issue and the problem. And they would repeatedly be mentioning and talking about the issue and the problem. Now, I am all for, and I encourage people to have one or two people with whom they can talk with and pray with concerning circumstances and situations that are going on with. But one of the challenges we consistently found with the patients was this. Almost, especially those with the most severe anxiety, almost immediately after praying about the circumstances of the situation, they would be worrying about that situation and they couldn't stop doing it. So now I'm stuck with the situation. I was like, okay, so now, now I'm kind of seeing what's happening, but, but what do you do about that? Right? It's said to not be anxious, but by everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present these requests, and the peace that God has given to them would, would, would be given to them that would pass all understanding. Go back to, and actually during the time of prayer, they actually felt 
a lot less anxious. It, it probably take, I, I shouldn't say immediately, but within about two to three minutes later, they would still feel pretty at peace. It was once they started talking about the problem again that they started to get anxious, okay? Go back to Isaiah 26, 3 with me, okay? And then we're going to, and hold your place in Philippians, okay? Um, Isaiah 26, verse 3. What Isaiah 26, verse 3 says is, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace. Who? What does, what does that next phrase say? Whose mind is stayed on thee. One of the key things that we found, and this is actually something that is a learned behavior, and that is to continually dwell on subjects and situations even after we've prayed and turned it over to God. But the challenge was they didn't have something else to think about in that period of time. So they would go back to doing was thinking about the problem again and then repeatedly talking and concerning. But the promise was this. The person would be kept in perfect peace whose mind was stayed on God. How easy is it to think on heavenly things and be worried about what you're worried about at the same time. I can't think about two things at the same time. I, I used to think I could multitask. I don't even multitask that well. But, um, but being able to keep the mind on Christ. Now, let me show you something interesting because go back to Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. Um, I knew Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. I had memorized it multiple times, Okay. I was doing a, 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 um, a, a lecture on stress for some of my patients and I happened to go down to um, verse 8 because when I was, a, uh, when I was doing um, a summer between the first and second year of medical school, I'd gone down to Honduras and someone had challenged me there to memorize the fourth chapter of Philippians. And all of a sudden I went to that next verse what is the verse that immediately follows verse 7? I know it's verse 8. My husband would say verse 8. <laughs> but somebody read for me the, the verse that f immediately follows verse 8. So it first said to not be anxious about anything, but by everything with prayer and petition, present your requests to the Lord, you know, doing this with thanksgiving, so you've listed all the thing, things you're thankful for, that you're encouraged for with God, you have presented them to God, you've asked Him to take this, you've laid before the cares for Him. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead, verse, verse 8. So the prescription was given to not think about so don't be anxious about X, Y, and Z, whatever that circumstance may be. And this is the exact same principle that Isaiah shared before, right? They're not contradictory things. You're anxious about something, you present it to God, and then you give up the right to continue dwelling on that issue and that matter again. But the only way to unlearn that is to do what follows next. So what Isaiah said, you know, you'll keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee, is similar to that, that thing in Philippians 4 verse 8. After telling us that the peace that passes understanding will keep our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus, it tells us, finally, brethren, whatever is true, 
honest, just, pure, lovely, of good report, if there be any virtue, if any praise, think on these things. That has to be the next step that follows. So with my patients, I added another thing to their prescription for the sleep. If they started to have anxious thoughts, they would write down the list of things that they were worried about, whether there was, was list of things that they needed to do tomorrow, things that they were worried about that were currently going on, or if it was the issue that I prayed about would happen you know, while they were there at the program. They would write that down. They would actively pray about it, and they would claim a promise okay, from Scripture concerning that, so that it was not their own power that was going to fix the situation or the circumstance. But they had to do a very next step. Immediately, they needed to start to think about something else. Because what was happening is this. We talked about brain-derived neurotropic factor before. And this laying down of synapses. When we learn to repeatedly go back to that thing, it is a learned behavior that we reinforce over and over again. Okay, that's, that was redundant. <laughs> but... but we, we reinforce this behavior of thinking on those things that, that we're worried about. The funny thing is this. It happens at a very young age. And consistently with all of my patients, they would tell me, you know, I've been doing this for a long time. Long before I even realized I struggled with severe anxiety, I tend to perseverate or worry about it. I would tell my girlfriends about the problem. I would call whoever would listen to me. And I would... I would tell, you know, I would, I would call my parents, I would tell them about it, I would write about it, I would read, you know, it's, it's oh my goodness, nowadays with, um, with, our, um, with Facebook and Twitter and whatever, you can not only tell your friend about it, you can tell 500 other people about the problem. And then, whatever, what, what then happens is that they respond to you and keep you thinking and dwelling about the problem and going on over and over again, you know? And it was challenging because people think that what they're doing is being helpful by listening to us repeat that issue and that circumstance over and over again. But remember, in these two verses, what has been taught is this. Once we've given the issue, our mind has to be diverted to something else. And not just something else that tells us specifically what, to what our, our mind needs to go to. And what is found is this consistently. Initially, it is hard. Let me tell you how difficult it is. If you struggle with repeatedly anxious thoughts, to choose to not dwell on that matter is a challenging thing. Very, very challenging thing. But if you start to put in the habit of immediately choosing something else to think about, it becomes more and more the strength, the part you're strengthening, the synapse that you start to strengthen is actually the synapse of turning to something positive. But here's the thing. What we found is this. If there is work that is involved in trying to figure that out initially, finding out that thing to think about, because then I remember patients <laughs> telling me, I got anxious because I didn't know what I was supposed to think about. <laughs> I, I was looking for other things to think about. I didn't know what to do. Right? If you know you have a tendency towards anxiety, towards worrying about something over and over again, this is where carrying scripture cards with you in your back pocket, in your, wherever you are, okay? 
Because what you want to do is you want to take the element of having to think about what to think about. Okay. So that immediately, the very next thing that you do is you, have, you, pull out this, you pull out that thought, that circumstance, that whatever it is, and you start to think about it, that verse, that scripture, that promise, whatever it is. If you worry about the situation, maybe it is, it is um, you know, I, I had gotten a little bit anxious last week um, with, uh, you know, because I, I still struggle with anxiety and I have to work at doing this. This is a behavior pattern. I used to be a very positive person and somewhere, and I believe it was, especially with the lack of sleep and lack of exercise during the years of residency, I turned into a very pessimistic person. I remember distinctly, people used to always say, oh, you're so positive, you're so, in fact, recently, um, a friend came to visit me, and then um, and my sister, because I, I, I'm not on, um, I, don't, I don't get on Facebook very often, and so this, this, um, she had put a picture on there, and my sister said, oh, it was really funny. Um, someone posted that picture of you, and they were, they were talking about, about you and, you know, about, oh, this is someone back in college even, talking about how, wow, you know, you used to always stay positive. And one of my friends back in, at the beginning of medical school actually said, oh, how are things going? How is, how is life going with you? Um, oh, but you know, it's probably, could be going in the dumps, but you're always positive about it. And I'm sitting there and thinking, wow, there was a time when I used to actually stay positive about things, and somehow that turned. And let me tell you, those lifestyle factors, the things we eat, the lack of exercise, the lack of the water that we're taking in, they predispose our brain to not being able to dwell on positive things. They predispose it, and then once we continue to choose to dwell on those negative things, it becomes a habit and a pattern, and it has to be a pattern that is unlearned. My encouragement to you, you know, I've looked for that magic pill that has come with anxiety. But you know, the most consistent thing that I found, and I've seen people, and I've found it even consistently in myself, I can't do anything about it. Okay, I can't fix the situation. I have tried for a long time to fix people. Okay, and it doesn't work. They don't want me to fix them. I have great ideas of how they can be fixed, but they don't want to hear it and they're not going to turn around, right? So what happens when you are in a circumstance, in a situation? There are, it's what we call in cognitive behavioral therapy, distorted thoughts, okay? Some things are easy to recognize as distorted thoughts. I'm ugly, I'm stupid, I'm fat, I'm, I'm miserable, nothing good will ever come out of the situation. Okay, some of those things are, are just very plain and blatant, distorted thoughts. But we don't recognize how in everyday life, the way that we, we tend to go towards the negative very quickly. We're late for work, we come up to a stoplight, and it turns red. And we think to ourselves, Every time I come to a stoplight, it always turns red. It's never green. And the funny thing is that that attitude, it seems like such a small thing. It's just a stoplight. It's not that big of a deal, right? But as we repeatedly do this over and over again, what we find is that we end up actually, um, we end up actually repeating a pattern in the rest of our lives and the other things that are going on. Now it's a circumstance, a situation with a person, with a situation at work, 
with a financial issue, with whatever it may be. There's a consistency to think and to dwell on that problem and to take it out of proportion to what it is. What happens when a person really is doing something that is aggravating you, that is not right? They are actively hurting you. You've tried to help them, you've tried to talk to them, you've gone through the, the system, you've gone through, your, maybe it was, it was someone, a coworker. you've gone through the system, talked to them, talked to the boss, talked to whoever else to try to figure out to work out the situation, no one's doing anything, they're not going to change, you can't change your job at the time. What are you going to do in that circumstance and in that situation? Oftentimes, when you've had a pattern of repeated, consistent, negative thoughts or dwelling on the thoughts, the pattern to think is, I'm angry because they. I'm not doing well or I'm not able to succeed at doing something because he, because she, because the circumstance, the situation. And the question is, in the midst of that, are we able to look through the promises, look through the things that are going on and to be able to say, wait a second, this isn't right. Lying would be saying, oh, that's right, it's okay for them to treat me badly. That's, that's a distorted thinking of its own. Looking at the situation in a different way from heaven's light is to look at, you know, I don't know how this circumstance or this situation is going to work out. But I know that God can work it out and I will do the things I know to do and trust him to take care of the situation, the circumstance, and to actively do that. The difference that it will make from day to day and with those thoughts. You know, it was funny, I was sharing with a patient, um, you know, in, in a lecture, we're going through this, and, um, and the first thing they said was, well, it's never going to work, nothing has ever worked before. <laughs> and I told them, I said, look, you don't know, you haven't tried it. It's consistently going through this and, and relearning the pattern because the very thought, the very easy thing to think about, the pattern of thinking has been to look at the impossibilities rather than looking at what can be done in the circumstances and the situations that are going on. With my patients who struggle with sleep, what I ask them to do is to start praying for people. Okay? During the time when they're having the anxious thoughts, they're not allowed to think about the thoughts. So they start praying for people and they list every family member they can think about and they pray through that list. And then if they can't think about any more family members, then they pray for the, for the staff on campus or they pray for the people of their church or they pray for whatever. They consistently start to pray through the list. You know, the interesting thing is that most people never make it through their entire list before they're back to sleep again. And I've seen it consistently. The ones who have not been able to put it through are the ones who just say, oh, well, I didn't want to bother with praying. I didn't want to really do that. I didn't want to take the time to. The interesting thing is when they consistently do it, they are, they are usually, I have not yet had a person make it through their list. And the other thing that I encourage them to do is, to, is doing that, is actually getting out of the bed and doing that if they've been in bed for a while when they're, when they're struggling with it. Um, my final thing that I wanted to share with you concerning anxiety, um, overwork is another one of those things, taking on of responsibilities that are not your own to take on. This is one thing that I find consistently happening with, um, with um, people that struggle with anxiety. 
what is the thing that people oftentimes recommend to someone who has been struggling with anxiety if they've been taking on too much? What do they normally recommend for them to do? They said, tell them to learn to say no, but but they but they'll they'll kind of take it to an extreme. Learn to say no. Just stop everything. Don't do everything. Just say no. Just you know, just say no to everything. You know, and, and let me tell you something. It actually doesn't work very well to do it that way. What I encourage you to do instead is to look. One of the reasons that oftentimes we've gotten to the mess of having multiple things on our plate that were not ours to handle, as someone once said, not every need out there is mine to fix or meet god hasn't called me to fix every person's problem that is out there and oftentimes we find the solution in the sense that we we um try to solve the problems for other people let me give you a very good example of my own recently okay that i after years of struggling with this, finally getting some control of the situation, I had to come and was planning and putting together the presentations for this. And um, and last week there was a young lady who um, who was getting married, okay, on the campus. She was getting married, and I remembered what it was like preparing for a wedding, and all the work that went into preparing for the wedding. And oh my goodness. My, my poor husband and I, the number of bows we tied on invitations and things, I, I can't even remember. We just were just constantly working. And I was sitting there and thinking, oh, poor thing. All that work that she has to do. You know, I should offer her my help. Notwithstanding that I had a new set of patients coming in and the first three days are always intense and late because we have to do our our initial intake. And I knew that was coming up. I knew that I had the presentations to finish for this week. And I offered to put together 150 of her invitations. The interesting thing was that she even said, aren't you too busy to do that? She asked the question twice. I was like, no, 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 it's going to be so stressful, don't worry, I'll take care of it. It'll be a nice distraction away for a little bit to do something that doesn't require a lot of thought and thinking. I came to Saturday night and I thought I was going to pull my hair out if I put one more bamboo stick on a piece of paper. And it was not that I didn't want to help, but here's the thing. I did not know how to prioritize. And I found myself, and I I remember asking my husband, how do I get myself into these things? And I've remembered, because this is something that I've been struggling with for a long time, is choosing priorities. One of the things that I would encourage you, if you're a person who tends to take on things that are not yours, you see problems that you want to fix, give yourself a minimum of 24 hours before you offer help or commit to actually doing something. The interesting thing is this. If you really need to do that, usually the issue will still be around or someone else will have taken care of it ahead of time. And they didn't need you to do that. 
what ends up happening is that the obligations to which you are committed that God has called you will suffer as a result of that and will end up making you more anxious in the situation and the circumstance. So here's the principle I want you to take away. The principle is not to say no to everything. The principle is not even to say yes to everything. The principle is to take time and to ask God, what are his priorities for you that day? Is this something he desires for you to actually take on? And even one of the things that I found, I specifically asked God, can you please let there be a situation that is that that comes up because um help me to to recognize that it's okay for things to not be fixed they weren't fixed long before i came into the picture i'm not the hero to save everything but he can manage that without my help and then manage those things that i do need to take care of help me manage the things i need to take care of with excellence because the one thing you do not want to do is to be busy doing so many other things that you end up, I guess, using the word failing or um, in not completing those things that you know that you are called to do. When you think on these things that are pure and good and true and virtuous, Asking God, what is my ministry? What is my mission? What are your priorities for me? I encourage you as you do that, this is what it means to seek first. When it said, you know, in those in the Matthew verse, right? The, the verses in Matthew, don't worry about this, don't worry about that, don't do And then it says to seek first the kingdom of God. This is what it meant when Martin Luther said that on the days that he was the busy, he had the most to do, that he got up earlier to pray. It's to find out what was God's priority and efficiency for him. Those that were the most successful consistently and able to maintain despite the challenges in life, they spent and kept that communion time with God so that they knew as they went through the day to be able to look at situations and circumstances through God's eyes. And you know what I've even found myself doing when someone comes and asks me for help and I'm sitting there and feeling horrendous, like I can't, oh my goodness, I'm about to tell them no and this is just making me horrendous and then I'm just going to be, I'll usually tell, let them know, you know, I have a lot on my plate right now. I, this isn't something I can take on, but can we Take a moment to pray together that God would help you find a solution concerning this circumstance situation. Find some help for this. Interestingly, it puts them at ease, puts me at ease, and nine times out of ten, God finds a solution that never involved me to begin with. With my patients that struggle with anxiety the most, those are the things that seem to consistently hit them over and over again. To be able to find those things that God has called them to do, to be able to consistently exercise and take care of those things, because that is one of the things. Recognize that taking care of your body is one of the things that God has prioritized for you. People oftentimes are worried about something. It's funny, they'll tell me, I don't know what God's will for me is concerning this situation or this circumstance. And I'll ask them, you don't know what to do in this situation or circumstance, but are there things that you know you should be doing that you're not doing right now? 
Are you getting your sleep? Are you exercising regularly? Be faithful to the things you know you need to do, and God will reveal those things that you don't know about in the time that he needs to reveal them, and he has never failed in doing that. I thank you guys very much. Do you have any questions at all? Any, any um, things? The issue, like I said, the issue of anxiety is something that is very, is quite. It's pretty extensive. But I'll tell you, people that consistently put these things into perspective and, and continue to apply them um, consistently. Other things to help your brain: increasing omega-3 fatty acids, vitamin D will help you also with being able to. And prime the function of your brain too. Okay. Any other questions? Circumstances, situations? No. All right. Why don't we end with a word of prayer? Okay. Father in heaven, I just want to thank you so much for the privilege of being able to come before you. I thank you for the promises that are in Isaiah 26 3. And the promise that is in Philippians 4, verses 6, 7, and 8. And I thank you that you didn't leave us in darkness concerning what to do when it came to anxious thoughts. I thank you for the victories, for the repeated injunctions, especially through Spirit of Prophecy and the Bible, that have told us to keep our minds stayed on you, to abide in you, to spend time with you, I thank you that we are promised that the fruit of the Spirit includes peace. And that fruit can be that come out as we abide in you. So I am asking you this for each person here, including myself. Help us learn what it means to abide in you. To take on your priorities, your desires, your will for our life that we may truly be in perfect peace because we trust in you. We thank you again for these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.com dot audioverse.org.